wonderful opportunity to hear from our great God from his word. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Our focus text is going to be verses 12 through 20. 12 through 20. Before we hear his word, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we recognize the wonder of it, the magnificence of it, the living and true nature of it, Lord. We praise you that it is the living word of the living God, and by your spirit you work in and through it in our hearts. O Lord, we pray that our eyes would be open to see, our ears would be open to hear, our hearts would be moved to understand and to live according to your very precepts. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him now hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. Thus far the reading of his holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, believers in Christ, of all the issues the Apostle Paul has addressed thus far in this epistle, we have seen how he returns time and again to the sin of immorality specifically sexual immorality, in the Corinthian church. Now, why did he do this? Not only is it a very serious sin, not only is it defiling and has a defiling presence that is clearly evident in the body, but it needed to be purged from the congregation. And in, in order to do this sufficiently, it's important to see that this immorality was present in multiple layers of the saints' belief and their thinking and their practice. 
Now, as a good physician, Paul navigated through exposing these layers in order to deal with each one of them. He desired to help restore the purity of the church and vindicate the honor of Christ within the congregation, as well as in the witness of the saints as the reproach that they had been bringing on Christ and his church would be removed more and more in the view of those in Corinth. And as Paul took a brief pause in addressing this subject in the beginning of chapter 6, if you recall, he addressed the problem of the saints' skewed view of the church and how it should function, specifically in how the church should be involved in making judgments. This delinquency and their failing to make proper judgments was evidence in their failure to deal with the fornication case. It was also evident in believers in the body going after other believers, taking them to secular courts for even the smallest matters. Paul emphatically said that that ought not be so. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. Christians should seek to follow God's prescription for conflict resolution in Scripture. And if the matter can't be resolved, take it to the court of the church. Take it to the session in order to seek counsel and advice and guidance and help. And what was one of the large underlying factors in the saints' error in their understanding? Their words and their conduct showed that they didn't know that in their union with Christ, they and all the saints will judge the world and angels, and therefore were worthy to judge even the smallest matters in the church. They weren't unworthy to judge. In fact, they were completely worthy to judge being in Christ. And further, their handling, and the lack thereof, frankly, of sexual immorality in their midst, demonstrated that their minds had become dull in knowing that those who show themselves to be unbelievers by their unrepentant living, they won't inherit Christ's kingdom. And yet, what was true for the saints in Corinth? They were once dead in their sins. Some of them were the very offenders on Paul's list of heinous sins and sinners. But they were washed. But they were sanctified. But they were justified in the name of Christ by the Spirit of our God. They were no longer who they used to be. And praise the Lord for that. We need to consider that ourselves, right? Even as we did last week and need to continue in this text today. And therefore, the truth and the reality of redemption must affect every layer of corrupted understanding regarding sin and the duties of a faithful church. And so Paul then applies this to another layer of the saints' corrupted understanding. And in our text this morning, he again returns to the subject of sexual immorality. As the church in Corinth resided in a hyper-sexualized culture and world, and that was creeping in and evidence in another way in the church. And this is so important for us to hear today as well, beloved. As we too live in a hyper-sexualized culture, there are many things that haven't changed over the centuries. They're showing themselves in different ways, but it's lipstick on the same page. 
And so Paul teaches us what? He teaches us a theology of the body. He teaches us a theology of the body as well as providing helpful instruction about Christian liberty. And so let's consider Paul's words about the abuse of Christian liberty in verses 12 through 14. Our bodies belonging to Christ in verses 15 through 17. And Paul's command to flee sexual immorality in 18 through 20. But look at verse 12 as he begins to put forth their abuse of Christian liberty. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now another effect of the wisdom of the world in the Corinthian church was the development of this popular slogan that you see in the first phrase. Of verse 12, and in fact, in some of your Bibles, it may be in quotations. All things are lawful for me. That was their mantra. And considering their, al their allowance of licentious and promiscuous living, this slogan shows that the, the Corinthians' former conduct that they had before they were saved and were brought into the church by God's saving grace had crept back into the church. The morals of the Corinthian culture rose up and, and took root in their hearts. And it was so clear. Though Paul had taught them otherwise, the saints wrongly believed that because they were free in Christ, that they were free to do anything they wanted to do, even with their bodies. The Greek belief was that acts carried out in the body were insignificant. And why? Because the spirit is important and the body isn't. The saints in Corinth were ready to say that even with fornication, all things are lawful for me. Yet such a belief and a practice was truly an excuse to abuse true Christian liberty. How do we know this to be true? Well, as Christ has freed us from the guilt of sin, as Christ has freed us from the wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, from bondage to Satan and dominion to sin, we don't have license to do whatever we want to do and sin. Just because something is lawful, beloved, doesn't mean it's good. Many things are lawful according to man's law, according to the laws of the world, but sinful according to God. And notice Paul's replies. They're interwoven in verse 12 after the, the statement of the slogan. Though they may not be constrained by man's law on certain things, Paul says, after each, all things aren't helpful. And he wouldn't be brought under the power of any. Remember, as the saints in Corinth were playing around and messing around with sin, it was as if they were bringing themselves back under the bondage of sin that they had been freed from in Christ. But Paul was saying, all things are not helpful. Know that. And they shouldn't be brought under the power of any. Yet again. Beloved, Christian liberty is and must be guided and limited by the word of God and his moral law. It must be. 
using Paul's words, it's limited by what is helpful and good and right in the eyes of God. It's limited by what doesn't bring one under the control of anything. We are Christ. We belong to him. We follow him and his precepts and commands. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 is helpful. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Make anointa. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20, section 3 of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience helps us further here. As they summarize the truth of Scripture saying this, They who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any lust, do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty. Which is, that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That is what we are at liberty and free to do. We are made free by Christ to serve Christ. And yet Paul goes on. As the Corinthians had another slogan that they liked to use to justify their sexual sin. All things are lawful to me, and what I do in the body really doesn't matter. And the spirit's important, the body's not. So I can, I can sin with my body. I could commit fornication, you could do the same. We're all good, they would say. Here's another slogan they use to justify sexual sin. Notice verse 13a. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, as it's true that God created and designed food to be processed and digested in our stomach, it's also true that food was made to go in and through our stomach. Both our stomachs and food are material things. They're not eternal. The Corinthians like to use this slogan to make a similar argument. They believed the body being material wasn't important. And yet, like food, our bodies have a purpose. Our bodies have a sexual function and purpose that is true, among other things. And regarding the value of our bodies, since our bodies have a sexual function and purpose and aren't significant, they would say, then it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. We are spiritual people, they would argue. The spirit matters, the body doesn't. They can do whatever they wanted to with our bodies. It's fine to use it and to carry it out for sexual desire. But what did Paul think of that view? He wouldn't let it ride, would he? He said, no. No, no, no. You're you're wrong about the purpose and the value that the God-given purpose and the value that he has given and placed in our bodies. Again, a rich theology of the body. Look at verse 13b through 14. Paul says, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So see how Paul's response 
in these verses is laid out in the same parallel form as their slogan. He is, in essence, giving them a counter-slogan. A good and a right statement that they need to adopt and believe. And we need to claim this ourselves. Beloved, our bodies have a purpose and are valuable in the sight and the design of the Lord. They have a noble and a pure purpose as we are in Christ. Remind yourself of that every day. Yes, the body has a sexual purpose, but the body is not for sexual immorality. But God does tell us what is good and right for our bodies in Scripture. Importantly, our bodies are for the Lord. The sexual function of our bodies is good and right within the covenant marriage between one man and one woman. That is the beautiful purpose and function. What does the use and care of your body show about your understanding of the true purpose and value that God has given it? Do you know that your body isn't your own? Does the way that you live and what you do show that you believe this to be true? Let this convict and challenge all of us here this morning. What do we truly know and understand to be true about our bodies? And how does that play out in our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions? Knowing the body is valuable to the Lord, joy in the promise that Paul declares to us in the coming resurrection. As the Corinthians had contempt for the body, some to the extent of denying the future bodily resurrection of the saints, which we'll consider in detail in chapter 15. Paul spends much time and spills much ink there in a wonderful teaching of the doctrine of the resurrection. But be refreshed today by the glorious proof of the value that God gives the body, which is evidenced in the resurrection in verse 14. Notice he says, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. The resurrection of Christ in you. Our resurrection in you. And because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, beloved, so too he will raise us by his power. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. He created us soul and body, beloved. He redeemed us soul and body and will resurrect us soul and body. Praise the Lord. Remember Paul's words to Philippi in Philippians 3.21 who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Such wonderful, glorious, and sovereign power of God that he will transform our bodies. And he will transform our bodies. That it may be conformed to his glorious body. 
Let them educate your knowledge of how God used these things. Praise God for his resurrection power that was displayed in the resurrection of Christ and will be displayed in ours. And so as Paul gave his counter-argument that the body is good, then notice that he goes on to teach that it then matters what we do with them. And he also tells us why that's true. Look at verse 15a. And see here again another of the do you not know questions. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Beloved, our union with Christ, our being in him, as, as Paul has laid out wonderfully time and time again in those brief verses, but rich verses in Ephesians 1. Our bodies being members of Christ is an ever so important doctrine to know and to understand. And why? Because our union with Christ, as true and real as it is, then must change how we live. Must undergird how we live. Thinking more deeply about the significance of our union with Christ makes all forms of immorality and sexual immorality even so much more treasonous and wrong. As God brings us back to this, as God opens our eyes to, to these truths, this should stop us in our tracks when those temptations come and we're on the screen at the computer. It should stop us in our tracks when those temptations come when we're behind closed doors with somebody, somebody that we may not and should not be with. And all other forms, beloved. us what he thinks about these things. And he shows us why. We are united to Christ and that makes us different. That matters. Look at verse 15b through 17. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Again, Make a noise so it's, it's the strongest way you can say no in Greek. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Same language as we see back in Genesis. With the first marriage between Adam and Eve. The two shall become one flesh. We must not be doing that. In the realm of immorality. We must not sin in that way. We must understand these things. But note 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so to take what has been united to Christ and join them with a prostitute should be unthinkable to us. And sometimes we may be thinking, and in the midst of our temptation, we may be wrestling, and we may fall because we think, I'm not with a prostitute, Pastor. I've never been with a prostitute. Are you committing adultery in your heart? 
sin? Are you are you committing these sins of immorality and sexual immorality in your mind and your heart? Repent! Turn from them, for you are united to Christ. Never pull away from that like Israel did as we're going through Hosea, right? Turning their backs on God, entering into an adulterous relationship with someone else chasing after their lover. Why? Because they're blind, they're foolish, they're sinful. They've lost their sight of God and His Word and His love. Union. We are united to Christ. And so should Paul do that, he asks. He says, Shall I then take a member of Christ and, and make them members of a harlot? Should Paul do that? No! No, certainly not. May it never be. But then how should we live? Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, the first five verses. We find, we find a wonderful and helpful answer to that question in great detail. It's very applicable to what Paul is telling forms here. Beginning in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as what? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And notice verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And notice verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Beloved, because it matters what we do with our bodies, Paul's command then in verse 18 rings loud and clear in our ears, or it should. Again, he who has ears to hear, hear this very word of God in verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. We could stop there and have a whole sermon just on that portion of the verse, could we not? Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Have you ever thought about that before? Do you realize that? Do you see that? And even as these words, we know this verse, maybe you've repeated this verse, you've memorized this verse, but as it's connected with the context, it takes all the more meaning. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That is valuable and purposeful and holy unto God. 
doesn't ask. But rather, he commands us to run. Flee it, because it's coming. It may already be at your doorstep. It may already be in your heart this morning. Run. Run, beloved. He commands us to flee sexual immorality when the temptation or the opportunity comes knocking. We are called to stand in battle. But when it comes to sexual immorality, it will take us down every time if we try to play with it. Run. Flee like Joseph, running from Potiphar's wife. In Genesis 39, 12. She came after Joseph. She tried to seduce Joseph. What did he do? He took off. He ran as far as he could. She grabbed his garments. He was running naked. He didn't care. He ran. Because he was a just man. And he knew he couldn't be there. To do what she wanted to do. We must flee being mindful of our union with Christ. Again, you're hearing me say that over and again, and it's intentional. It's intentional. Having our eyes upon and open to the nature of such sin against our own bodies. Paul told Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. And notice verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And those very words from Paul to Thessalonica strike home in our hearts as we go back to 1 Corinthians 19. And we see again that, that Paul gives us good reason as to why we must flee and remain pure. With another, do you not know? Look at 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. This question should remind us of Paul's words regarding us being temples of God in chapter 3. He's used this temple language once before. And there, what did he teach us? That we are temples, and temples are holy and to be kept undefiled. And so, as Paul continues that imagery here, notice how he focuses on divine ownership. Divine ownership. In verse 20 he says, For you were bought at a price. And therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're His. From beginning to end. Every part of us. All of our being. Body and soul, body and spirit, we are his. 
We are not our own. For we became Christ's own through his redemptive purchase of us. He bought us at a great price. Indeed, he did. We consider that often and afresh this morning. What was that price? It was his death on Calvary's cross. The shedding of his own blood for us. Christ lived and died and rose again for us so we would be brought from death to life in him. He lived and died and rose again that our sins would be forgiven. Even these very sins that Paul is pointing out here and all others. And therefore, because of this great price that he paid, again the question remains, how then shall we live? Paul says, we must glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits. I'll leave you with this. I pray that this passage deeply impacts you today. Never ever buy into the lie that because believers are free in Christ, that means we have clear license to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it. Especially those things that are sinful. Because we don't. And we must not abuse Christian liberty like Corinth did. And on the other hand, we must be clear about what true biblical liberty is. We are free in Christ from the bondage to Satan and sin. And we are free to live for Christ in obedience to him. And so has this passion, has this passage rather, deepened or, or changed you this morning? Changed your, your understanding of the, the value and the purpose of the body? Since God views the body and, and, act, and the acts carried out in it as important, so should we. As God gives noble purpose and value to our bodies, we need to recognize and live according to what he declares and not the world's view and not our own view. But we would like to override God's view in our minds and our hearts when the time is May a right biblical theology of the body help us promote and maintain personal purity in our own lives and corporate purity in the body as we ought to. But also take great joy and comfort in your union with Christ. In the truth that you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ and that you have been made His, that you are in Him. And also have all the more zeal today then to flee sexual immorality when that temptation comes. If you're engaged in some form of it now, be convicted by these truths. Be convicted by your union with Christ. Be convicted by the sinfulness of your actions and your thoughts. And turn to your Savior who bought you and owns you. You're His. For you are not your own and don't live like you are. Don't live like you are. God claims ownership of you. Which is a wonderful and a glorious thing to belong to the living God. Therefore we must be wise stewards of the bodies that we have been given. And glorify God with what we think and what we say and what we do in them. All to the glory of God, my friends. 
all for the glory 